0: Ladies and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Hey, yo. For over 30 years, and still, and still, your inside look into boxing and mixed martial arts. You know what? As long as she fights in 135 pounds,
1: I don't care if she's injecting a horse
0: demon into her eyeballs. Heard live around the world. And brought to you by the World Boxing Organization. And now, and now, live from the Ring Talk Studios in San Francisco, here's the host of the longest running fight show in history, Pedro Fernandez. Caballero, bienvenidos. Ladies
2: and gentlemen, welcome to the Mighty Sports Byline broadcast network. Of course, I am the man when it comes to boxing and MMA, have for 34 years. Yes, the man was correct in stating my name. I am Pedro Fernandez, often imitated but never duplicated the undisputed heavyweight champion of the Radio Ares. Now, I've done blowing my own horn. We're going to talk boxing this first hour of Ring Talk Live Worldwide with the godfather of the HBO crew. I'm talking about the retired godfather, the HBO. Could I say the Hall of Famer, man? The iconic one, Larry Merchant, will be in the house in about four or five, maybe eight minutes here on the Sports Byline broadcast, where you can join us if you'd like on the toll-free at 1-800-878-PLAY. That's one 800 A lot of you feel more inclined to... Uh, drop us a text i guess it's, you know, it's non-committal and you know you don't have to come on the air and say anything so here's the text line this is sort of cool yeah. non-committal the text line once again 415-275-1613 i'm going to push larry murphy today on white hopes you know the white hopes that i've met throughout my boxing career and of course i'm talking about like, that's from Jerry Corey on up. That's right. I go back that far. Anyway, we'll talk Jerry Corey, another Jerry, Jerry Cooney. I mean, we'll talk the great white hopes today with the Godfather Larry Merchant after the break. We'll also talk about the WBO convention going down, of course, Managua, Nicaragua, October 30th through November 2nd. That's right. Pedro and the WBL, of course, celebrating 31 years now, 31 years of the World Boxing Organization, now under the tutelage of the great president, of course, Francisco Paco Vargasel. You are tuned to Ring Talk live on Sports Byline, SB Nation Radio Network, Sirius XM Satellite Radio, the American Forces Network, Cable Radio Network Channel 2. I can keep going, but I'm going to run out of time. You're tuned to Rink Talk, and you already know that.
1: Yes, how I love
3: Fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets?
5: And you don't even have to leave your home. We provide free in-home delivery. So if you're a CPAP user and you have Medicare, staying healthy with new CPAP equipment is easy. Just make this free phone call right now to get started.
3: Call the CPAP hotline now. 800-430-4234. 800-430-4234. That's 800-430-4234. Copay's and deductible supply. Supplies are replaced in accordance with Medicare guidelines.
0: Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man. You know, like a like a sex machine, man. Moving, doing it, you know. Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. Get up. up. Now more brain talk with Pedro Fernandez. Check the clocks,
2: 12 and a half minutes past the hour. You are tuned to Ring Talk, live worldwide. This is our second segment of hour number one, hour number one of two today, uh, live on Sports Byline and SB Nation Radio Sports. The Godfather is in the house, that's right, not James Brown, Larry Merchant. Larry, a very good morning to you, sir.
6: Thank you, and back at you. All
2: right. Um, you know, I was thinking Great White Hopes, and the reason why I was thinking Great White Hopes was I was coming into the studio today was that. Um, I saw some some a picture of myself and Jerry Quarry from back like in 1985 86 something like that. Of course, he was contemplating a comeback, and and I'll never forget is I taped this interview Godfather with him, and I can't I got to look back in the archives for it. But as he was as he was, you know, I don't know if you remember the the Nixon tapes when Nixon the Watergate tapes, you could hear Nixon's the the, the ice cubes going back and forth in his glasses as he was drinking alcohol during the um during the tapings, Okay, so. I had Jerry Corey at the, at the Forum Club in L.A., and he's contemplating his comeback. He's telling me, yeah, I'm going to fight a cruiserweight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And You can hear the ice cubes going in. The thing. I said, you know, it smells like an alcoholic beverage that you're drinking right there. He went into this big, long denial thing. Now, he didn't drink in the whole nine yards. And, of course, a few days later, um, he had some issues as far as the cops were concerned in drinking. But good old Jerry Corey, mismanaged by his father. Well, his father made him. His father
6: was this, uh, I guess, uh, hard, hard times guy um, from Oklahoma originally during the Depression. And if I remember correctly, he had uh, those words on uh, um, tattooed on his knuckles: "Hard times." Um, and
1: he raised a
6: son who was a hell of a good fighter, not just a white fighter, but a damn good fighter. And, um, I, I got to know him a little personally, just as a columnist covering his fights and so forth. I liked him. And I saw both of his, I covered both of his fights uh, with Ali as well as others, um, Mismanaged, I don't know, maybe. Um, I know George Foreman once said to me that he was the best fighter of that time who didn't win a championship.
2: A little bit small. You know, my first, with some of my earlier, early, early boxing memories, circa 1966, 67, at Newman's Gym in, in San Francisco, my father would drag me down there. And I didn't have to drag me after the first time, believe me, but the first time he drugged me down there. Anyway, um Eddie Machen, who had already beaten Jerry Corey in a ten round decision like about a year and a half before he and uh, he and Jerry were sparring in fact, Corey came up here to San Francisco to spar with Eddie Machen, which was a little weird anyway because he had beaten because uh, he was the draw and things like that back in the day. but his father had him sparring with these big monsters, and Mike Corey was there as well. He was a light heavyweight brother um and he had to, he had all the Corey brothers sparring with monsters with no headgear, and they were smaller gloves and than I like to see in the gym and things like that. The father was a bit, in my mind, looking back at it now, barbaric.
6: Um, I'm, I'm not disputing that. Uh, coming from the background, he did. Maybe he thought um, this is a barbaric sport, and if you're going to be able to perform, you have to do some uh, barbaric training, I'm not justifying it, but um, uh, Gil Clancy, the great trainer, once told me about fighters from that
2: time, and he
6: said they were just hard men.
2: Interesting. Larry Murch is our guest. We're talking Jerry Corey. Of course, Jerry Corey passed in 1999, once the number one-ranked heavyweight in the world, the Bellflower. He was from Bellflower. Bellflower down there in L.A., right? The Bellflower City?
5: I think he
6: was. I would say the inaptly titled uh, town of Bellflower, yes, in the (laughs) Los Angeles area.
2: You know what was sort of cool about Jerry, though, is that not not in the 90s per se, but when I approached him in the 80s and in the mid to late 80s, he was extremely sharp. I remember he was doing the New York Times crossword puzzle the first time I imposed my will on him, and I sort of sat down next to him. Because remember, the, I don't know if you remember, Godfather, you remember, the Caesars Palace coffee shop, and it was sort of cool, and in the bar in front, it was like everything sort of went. Everybody was sort of like open back there, back in the fight days when the big fights were at Caesars Palace. And I would approach it, and I wasn't afraid to approach anybody. The only buddy I didn't approach in my entire life was Joe DiMaggio, and he waved at me. I should have went. Joe made the first move, and I didn't make the move. But Sammy Davis, all those great guys, I mean, I would just approach them at Caesars Palace when you saw me. It was just like, it's different now. You can't get close to the stars. I mean, once in a while we see you when you were doing the HBO thing, walking to and further from the way and this and that, but the access that people had back in the 80s and the 70s is no longer there.
6: Well, that's your experience, and um, I get it, but I was somebody around the game and uh, a lot of different games, and I got to know uh, the great athletes and, um, you know, some were a little bit more available than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time I was doing—I was in Sports editor in Philadelphia. Um, I had planned to go to the, a ball game that night to write a column, but it, the game was rained out. And I went over to the Warwick Hotel uh, in downtown uh, Mid called uh, Center City, Philadelphia and uh, where the ball players used to stay and I found Stan Musial standing under a canopy. And I had known Musial along the way and interviewed him and he was just the greatest guy. I mean, there was never a great athlete better than than Stan Musial. And I said to him, um, Stan, why are you always smiling? And he looked at me and he said, well, if
2: you hit, 340 for 20 years you'd smile all the time too. <laughs> That's a good. That's a great stand musical. You know, back to Jerry Corey for a second. I remember watching him in the uh, in the coffee shop there and you know, eyes on Corey and he did he knocked out the New York Times crossword puzzle in about 25 minutes and wow. That was that was a that was a significant accomplishment because I can't knock well, out still the New- is.
6: I've never <laughs> completed
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, but he used to do, and he made it look good, and he would show off and do it. It was like it was you know. It no, was, I never heard that before. Oh, oh yeah, Jerry was Jerry was a, he was an articulate, sharp guy, in, you know before yep. before his uh, neurology. He had one pro- one serious problem as as an athlete and as a fighter, is
6: that he had a certain um, pride in his ability to take a punch, both as a banger and a boxer. And he invariably would choose to fight the best opponents in their style, almost as a challenge to beat them. So he'd go toe-to-toe with Joe Fraser, and he'd box with Jimmy Ellis and so forth. Um, um, he, he Maybe he couldn't impose his will on them by trying to neutralize their style, but he always put on a good show.
2: Question, and you talk about guys fighting guys styles, talking with the Godfather of the and the Hall of Famer himself. Why did Marvin Hagler come out and box Orthodox for four of the first five rounds against Ray Leonard and not try to impose this like monstrous that. size advantage it's, and just go in there and smoke him? one of him? the
6: great questions of, of that time. And I'll tell you why I did not just think, but absolutely believe he did. In the years before the fight, uh, because Leonard was so popular coming out of the 1976 Olympics that he was virtually a star on television from his first professional fight, and he was making the big bucks for them. And Hagler was just a damn good professional who had to fight everybody, Lost to a couple of really tough middleweights in Philadelphia on his way up, uh, and never had the kind of personal body language or personality to to get into the um, that world that that Sugar Ray Leonard occupied, and he was envious of it, jealous of it. And angry about it. And when he started to challenge Leonard, uh, who was in a lower weight class, he once said, me and him, you'll see some high-class boxing. And he came out and hoped to surprise Let me jump in here
2: right now, Godfather. I got a heartbreak coming up here. The producer's looking at me with that funny look. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live on Sports Byline. Wow!
3: call right now that number is eight hundred four eight five six thousand three
0: now more of ring talk with pedro fernandez
6: <laughs> you know it's my theory that if uh, don king was born rich and white uh... he'd be donald trump and if donald trump was born uh, poor and black he'd be don king
5: i guarantee you there's
2: no problem <laughs> Little text coming in here from the crew, from the peeps. Why did Jerry Quarry take the Ken Norton fight on 18 days notice? Godfather money, right? Probably. I don't remember that. But he fought everybody.
6: And he it wasn't easy for anybody to fight him.
2: Um, um, you know, he... he... So it went. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he fought Frazier twice, Ali twice. He fought Eddie Mason. He fought my guy, Thad Spencer. I told you about Thad Spencer's people. When I was working a gig for them in Richmond, California, as a ring announcer, I guess about 15 years ago, they pulled a gun on me. When I went to get paid, Thad Spencer's kid pulled a gun on me. He says, you really don't want to get paid, do you? We had a hard time tonight. And I said, mm, probably not. As an honest guy God, only in boxing, Godfather.
6: Um, that's why some fighters um, who were in a position of strength would insist on getting paid before they walked into the, <laughs> the ring.
3: <laughs>
6: oh. Teddy, Teddy Brenner told me that Sugar Ray Robinson, when came to, to his office when he, he was due to fight on that weekend, and it was like the day before, and said, you want me to show up? I want $25,000 right now
2: and he got it. Yep. Okay. Continuing our conversation before the before the break, we were talking about Hagler being a bit bitter, but Yeah, I think he was bitter, you're right.
6: Uh but he he had boxing ability of course and he wanted to show that he could outbox the boxer and he tried to come out and he was a South Pole came out in conventional style and he fought that way for 3 or 4 rings rounds, but uh, Sugar Ray Leonard was the kind of boxer who adapted very quickly, saw exactly what was happening, and won some easy early rounds. And at the end of the
2: night, that was the difference in the fight. <laughs> but did he sell his soul by going to from fifteen rounds to twelve rounds? That was four million. Then there was the size of the ring. That was another three million. Then there were the gloves. I think that was $2.5 million. I mean, these were all the Mike Traynor, uh put together in negotiations, I was told. Anyway, when you put that all together, I mean, he made $24 bucks. He walked away with a lot of money. But did he sort of sell his soul there? Well, look, he had never made the big money. And Sugar Ray
6: Leonard was the A-side or the A-plus side. Uh, to a guy who was the A side, the uh, A or B plus side in terms of business, of negotiations. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you want to say he sold his soul? Uh, he thought he could beat Leonard. Remember, Leonard had had just one fight in five years because of his, uh, eye problems, and he was stepping way up in weight. So he thought he could give those things away for more money, and that in the end of the night it would uh he would still win the fight um, I don't blame him, and then he became one of the very few fighters ever in boxing history to just walk away he He could have made a guarantee of at least ten million dollars for a rematch and he he made i think he walked away with nineteen million dollars in the 1980s, uh, which might be comparable to twice that much today or more, and he never put on the gloves again.
2: I remember his, uh, we spent a lot of time together in Mexico City and Spain, but I remember it, it, during the fight, the most telling part of the fight to me from the Hagler side of the uh, 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 coin was when Pat and Goody Petronelli, when Ray was doing a decent job about boxing him, keep doing what you're doing, Mav, keep doing what you're doing. I would. I, he was losing rounds. So that that I, that didn't figure out. Anyway, also, Sugar Ray Leonard. Why did Thomas Hearn? Thomas Hearn's. I mean, Emmanuel Stewart and I talked about this a long time. Tommy was knocking everybody out. I mean, Tommy was knocking people dead. He sent Pepino Cuevas into another world. Okay, although Cuevas is not a Leonard, but he's a smaller guy. Leonard's a smaller guy than him, and yet Tommy came out and tried to box him, and and and, and that didn't work to Tommy's advantage. Why does every Why does everybody feel compelled? Do want to try to outbox Ray Leonard?
6: Well, I think because Leonard was just uh, so good, so quick, so versatile, that um, he could force any kind of fighter to fight his, his style of fight. And I think also we have to remember that Hearns was a star amateur boxer. Mm-hmm. He didn't become a puncher until after he turned pro, yep. to his credit. Um, and I think that he felt that he was longer and stronger than Ray Leonard and
2: that he could box him. Hmm. Interesting. And the wild card and all that was Aaron Pryor, I thought, because Aaron had sparred. I think he had beaten Tommy in the amateurs, and he had sparred with Ray before and, of course, We were at the Botany's Nightclub in Las Vegas. Aaron Pryor and I sitting at a a booth and Ray Leonard came over because we had the chicks. Anyway, so Ray Leonard came over and he's talking this and that. And the first thing that comes out of Aaron Pryor's mouth is he tells Ray Leonard, he goes, hey, Ray, tell Pedro you're not scared of me. Ray goes, Pedro, I'm not scared of Aaron. And I thought it was going to go off right then and there. I mean, I'm sitting in a booth. It was a little uncomfortable for a second. And then, yeah, the women were there. So I sort of softened things up. But, yeah, right then and there, Godfather. I mean, you never knew what Pryor was going to say because you never knew what what, what substance Pryor was, was dealing with at the time. So you know, well, was...
6: That's one of the great unmade fighters in boxing, unmade fights, excuse me, in boxing history. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, um uh Aaron had not yet risen to the stature to fight Leonard, and then Leonard was inactive for all those years mm-hmm. while Aaron uh, Pryor was having his uh best fight uh, but you know certainly a Leonard Pryor fight uh when they were both at their uh, peaks uh
2: would have been a gigantic event and a hell of a fight. Okay. Quarry, of course, his brother, father was Jack Quarry, but his brother was Mike, and there was another brother as well. But there were all three brothers ended up having pugilistic dementia. What is, I mean, do you think that's an inherent thing, or, or they just take too many lickings, or is it, I mean, all three of them, that's sort of, like, daunting.
6: Uh, I don't know for sure. Maybe, um... It it may have been the way they trained, and it was survival of the fittest. Uh, Maybe they weren't, quote, made physically to take that kind of punishment long-term. But it was a life they accepted. It was the only life they knew. And they had some tremendous highs. And then, of course, um, um, their lives did not uh, uh, live out um, the right span of life.
2: I remember uh, reading back in the day where Corey rescued some girl at, at Newport Beach, I think it was back in 1968, it was front page of the paper, I mean... He also did television shows, the, the the campy Batman series he did that, I Dream of Genie, Adam Twelve. It was sort of cool. I mean, Jerry Corey, I mean, you knew who Jerry Curry was, and having watched him in the gym and then watching him on television as a kid, all this stuff was like, it, it was it, it was it was sort of cool for me. Well, he was a California.
6: You know, he he made his career uh, early career in California, um, and he was this um electrifying young good-looking guy who had the look of a of, of a champion um and and built the following and um that was at a, at a time I believe uh when you know California was was like an, another country from the east coast where most fighters um fought their big fights right. and so uh, by the time anybody got to know Quarry nationally, um, uh, he had already uh, built a tremendous reputation uh, out here.
2: 1965, amateur uh, United States Amateur National Golden Glove Champion. And you, know, you know what I remember? I remember that he appeared on an on on episode, with, uh, 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 I think it was Night Rider, with Don King and, and the aforementioned Ken Norton. That was in the 80s, this and that. And he hadn't lost it yet, you know. So when I saw him towards the end, and it was a, it, it, it was a bit rough. But you know, that, that's life, and these are athletes and combat sports, and things like that happen when you fight.
6: Well, no fighter ever, ever had it, got into the game without knowing the potential consequences,
2: and a lot
6: of them suffered the consequences.
2: But yeah, but you know, Godfather, there were a few folks just like me that saw Frankie Click laying in the street on Frankie Click me in the former world junior welterweight champion laying in the street on Cortland Avenue and impressing him, asking him why he was there. During his lucid moments, he would tell me it was boxing and booze. Anyway, bottom line is, I learned a lot from that guy, Godfather. You feel like sticking around, or you got to go.
6: Um, if we got anything further to explore, you got me.
2: All right, you're tuned to the mighty Sports Byline Broadcast Network. Larry Merchant's in the house, 1-800-878-PLAY. That's 1-800-878-7529. The No Commitment Text Line. You can even swear at me because I can't respond. 415-275-1613. That's 415-275-1613. You're tuned to Ring Talk live on Sports Byline and SB Nation Radio sports. Thank you, Pedro. You gonna run tomorrow? Are we right? You gonna run tomorrow morning? Yeah, five thirty.
0: Sunday.
2: I'm leaving tomorrow at ten. I'll run with you tomorrow morning. Okay,
0: babe. Okay.
4: Shop Lowe's for savings that'll help you enjoy your outdoors a great deal more. Get sizzling deals on select grills now up to twenty percent off, and get your flower and vegetable gardens growing with Miracle Grow Garden Soil two bags are now just $12 all projects have a starting point start with Lowe's offers valid through June 6th while supplies last U.S. only
7: being a new parent means every high and low you can imagine
5: and you don't even have to leave your home. We provide free in-home delivery. So if you're a CPAP user and you have Medicare, staying healthy with new CPAP equipment is easy. Just make
3: this free phone call
5: right now to get started.
3: Call the CPAP hotline now. 800-430-4234. 800-430-4234. That's 800-430-4234. co and deductible supply. Supplies are replaced in accordance with Medicare guidelines.
2: something else to watch two men at the highest level battle and one may be favored over the other but you never know what's going to happen and and that's what that's why boxing is the way it is
4: now
0: more of ring talk with pedro fernandez well you have to talk to my lawyer on that one can't pass a people, can't pass a 40 minutes
2: past the hour we've got a couple of minutes left with the godfather of the retired godfather of HBO, of course the hall of famer himself mr larry merchant Larry Terrence Crawford and uh, Mr. Horn are going to hook it up next week. That's going to be on ESPN Boxing. Top rank going to deliver Saturday night, no doubt about it. It's a good fight.
6: Uh, Yeah, uh, everybody wants uh, to see Crawford uh, as a welterweight. He's stepping up in weight against a tough uh, Australian fighter. Um, A good introduction into the uh, welterweight division. And uh, if he uh, performs the way we expect him to, um, he could be um, part of the uh, casting for some big fights against the, all the good fighters in the welterweight division.
2: Earl Spencer, people like that. But in all honesty, <clears throat> this isn't talent. Aren't the talent levels here on, on basically on opposite ends of the spectrum? Almost. I mean, 18 and 0 with a draw. Uh, with 12 KOs versus Terrence Crawford, 32-0. Crawford, a pound-for-pound pound type of fighter horn, maybe not so.
6: No, but a good test as he moves up in weight and how he handles it. He has the kind of skill and ring intelligence um, to make that move. Um, whether he is as strong as some of the top guys in the division like Spence or not. And we all just want to see how he's going to handle this situation. It's an opportunity for him to announce himself as a serious contender in the welterweight division.
2: Last question for the Godfather. Jack Johnson's pardoned. uh, Is this a, is a pardon official?
6: Uh, Apparently, um, I don't know what makes it official or unofficial. Sometimes uh, we have a president who announces one thing and does another. But I think this is an easy call, and, and, um, and credit goes to him and uh, others who have been uh, trying to get him pardoned for uh, some time.
2: Um, Sly Stallone, Aaron Snow, the former Mike Tyson Jr. Got a question for you real quick. And this is rumor. This is folklore. Did he really used to wear his cup and then have his penis outside of his cup? I mean, was was was? I know that sounds gross, but what I'm trying was he that really that? Did he really do that kind of stuff?
6: I never heard that one. I don't know how you can physically do it. Maybe he he just if it, if it, it, it's partly true, it's that he that what what a fighter is really protecting. Uh, with a cup is is not his penis necessarily it's um, the rest of the plumbing down there so uh, <laughs> that's, that's a new one on me I'm, I, I can't uh, uh, give you any of my uh, world class expertise
2: on that one okay Godfather <laughs> I need three more minutes of your time let me take you back to 1910 James Jeffries and of course
0: Jack Johnson At precisely three minutes to one, Jack Johnson makes his way to the ring. Johnson is always the first to enter. So seriously does he take this ritual that it's written into his contract. The nation comes to a standstill as cameras grind away. A roar goes up. Now, Jeffries. The crowd goes wild. is a new age of instant communication for the first time ever, a round-by-round account relayed across country by telegrapher's team Round one, 45 rounds, the battle of the century. The action is tentative, cautious. Two champions, one old and coaxed out of retirement, are as the great white hope. The other, proud and outspoken. A man who has aroused a nation. The third man is Tex Rickard, impresario extraordinaire. While outside, hundreds unable to buy tickets await the outcome. Jeffries bears the reputation of being the strongest man ever to enter the ring. Well, I got a thing or two to say about that. In Jeffrey's corner, Corbett yells, One, two, Jeff, one, two. That's all you need, Jeff. One, two, one, two. Keep on trying. Come on, man. Do something. This is for the championship. Around seven, Jeffries is beginning to show frustration. Each time he launches an attack, Johnson quickly stifles it. And his frustration is compounded by Johnson's taunts. Strong, Mr. Jeff, real strong. The fighting me was wrong. It's all on film for the world to see. And high overhead, a desert sun scorches the campus. The temperature's rising, and so are tempers. The bell rings for round 15. A vicious uppercut and three stinging lips. Jeffries goes down. Get up, Jeff. Get up. Johnson moves in, but Rickard waves him off. Slowly, Jeffries rises. Johnson unloads a thunderous left. And Jeffries goes through the rope. Emotions wave the rules as Jeffries is helped to his feet. Johnson moves in to finish it. Wow. Jeffries finally collapses from a combination of both. Stop it. Stop it, they scream. Johnson wants more, but Tex Rickard singles the answer. Wow,
2: 108 years ago, Godfather Jack Johnson, that was him in his own words. He was a cocky dude uh he was um
6: in fact when um Muhammad ali had his uh, first fight after being exiled from boxing um because he refused to uh, go to vietnam and get into the army and so on um he fought jerry quarry in atlanta yep that was the only the only place the first place that would actually license the fight And at the same time, um, there was a preview of a documentary about Jack Johnson. How important a figure in boxing uh, and in American popular culture was Jack Johnson? Well, there's a a book, The White Hope, a movie, and a play called The White Hope about his fight with Jeffries. And coming out, Ali said to me, because of all the stuff about Johnson, who was a big showboat, a big personality and who married a white woman, uh, Ali whispered to me, you think I'm crazy? He was really crazy. <laughs> um, and of course, after he, he beat Jeffries, who was called the great white hope, a former champion who came out of retirement after six years away from the game, um, there were riots in many cities around the country, and people killed. Uh, that's how important the heavyweight champion was uh, to the culture at that time, and how Jack Johnson, being this larger-than-life figure as a personality um, as well as an outstanding uh, boxer-puncher, uh, set off uh, a train of events that, uh, where he was convicted on the Mann Act, and he fled to Europe for a few years.
2: Last question for you, Godfather. Why did Governor Lester Maddox of Georgia uh, allow Quarry Nali to take place in Atlanta when all the other states like New York State Athletic Commission suspending him, etc., why Lester Maddox? What what he was sort of like a right wing guy. What sort of made him do this?
6: Um, I don't remember except there were some powerful economic
2: Incentives. forces
6: and political forces in Atlanta yeah. that wanted the fight.
2: They want it, they got it.
6: A third and, round
2: go on, sir. A third round TKO for Jerry Corey. Now, Godfather, I know I've kept you for over Ali. your t- for Ali, excuse me. Uh, um, I know I've kept you over your time. Excuse me with the God Mama. Say hello to me for her, and you have a great day, sir. I thank you so much for your time. I feel blessed each and every time you come on the show. Thank you, Pedro. Have a good weekend. The great Larry Merchant on Ring Talk, of course, live here on Sports Byline, SB Nation, Radio Sports. Oh, it might keep going, Sirius XM Satellite, Radio, the American Forces Network, Cable Radio Network Channel 2, iTunes, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, I keep going, but the bottom line is, wow, October 26, 1970, that was the day Ali came back, of course, after that three-and-a-half-year self-well, yeah, he walked away from boxing, too, except because they said, you know, if you don't go into the the military. Guess what? You know, you're not going to be able to box, and so they took away his ability to work, and so it was sort of a self-induced exile because he stood up for his own, his own, his own principles. I mean, he was, he isn't, he was a guy, and, and I talked to him about that, and you know, I talked about converting them to, to Islam and things like that, and he told me, you know, now some of you might get offended when I say this, but I'm going to use Ali's exact words here when I when I quote him, okay? Because we're sitting on a bus in China, and we're quote we're going back and forth, and I said, you know. The Muslims, the Muslim uh, people, Herbert Muhammad and Elijah Muhammad initially, but Herbert Muhammad was your manager. I said, you know, they sort of had like a um, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis Presley type of contract with you. And he looked at me like with this queer look on it and said, what are you talking about? I said, for every dollar you made, you gave a dollar to the Muslims. And he said, yeah. I said, don't you think that was a little bit too much? I said, you know, they got a little bit too much of that. And he said, no. <clears throat> he said, listen, he was without being a Muslim. I'd just be another nigger X fighter. That's all I'd be. Don't you understand? Islam is what made me great. And I took him at his word. Of course, that was 1994. We're cruising through a bus eh, somewhere in the Chinese mainland between Zhuhai, I think, and Guangzhou. What What an experience that was. But Ali telling me about the quarry fight, he said, you know, I came back and fought Jerry Quarry. Everybody knew that Jerry Quarry was a good, solid fighter. And I cut him early, and they stopped the fight in the third round. I wanted to go a little bit more. I needed some more rounds under my belt, of course. Ali then would go on and fight Oscar Bonavena in his next fight, go 14 rounds. And then a few months later, come back and step into the ring with the world heavyweight champion, so-called recognized at the time. We're talking about undefeated 1964 Olympic gold medalist, Joe Frazier. Smoking Joe Frazier. Man, the fight, March 8th, 1971, MSG, baby. The real mecca of boxing, Madison Square Garden. Of course, both guys hooked it up. 15 rounds, back and forth, give and take. Ali hurt real, real bad in the 11th, dropped in the 15th round, loses a decision. Frazier's in the hospital for almost two weeks afterwards. Neither guy was really the same. The fight of the century, man, it had all the ingredients, no doubt about it. Ali Frazier, number one, 1971, March 8th to be exact. You are tuning in to Ring Talk, live, baby, on Sports Byline. You ask me uh, how well that he fight, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing, he punch good.
0: Jackie, it.
2: 57 minutes past the hour. We're tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You know that Ali-Corey fight, as I said, 10-26-1970, approved by Governor Lester Maddox of Georgia. <clears throat> anyway, check this out. The billing, I'm looking at the poster, 15 rounds for the World Heavyweight Championship. That's right, because Ali was still the undefeated champion. I mean, give him his props. He was. He hadn't lost in a ring, not to Joe Frazier, not to anybody, of course. And eventually, he and Joe Frazier would fight. Two fights later. But I got to tell you, Ali, taking that stand against the war, it took a lot of intestinal fortitude. He didn't have to do it. He told me, he said, you know, they were going to ship me off to, like, Italy or somewhere like that, and i do maybe speeches and things like that, you know, and say hi and wave to people and box exhibitions. And, you know, that they were, I wasn't going to get hurt, but I wasn't going to allow them to use my name to lead other young men to slaughter. That's the way he broke it down to me, and that's the way he broke down his resistance to the Vietnam War. So I understood him a lot more after that, after these conferences we had. We, had, we did have some, you know, some deep, deep chats, and he wasn't the most well-spoken person in the 1990s. <clears throat> I mean, he had problems as far as his speech was concerned, okay? But he also learned to concentrate his words, to make his words count. So, I mean, we'd have these conversations on the bus, and I, I'd ask Lonnie, and i push his wife to him. His wife, you know, his still wife. He is his widow. Anyway, I would ask her, am I pushing him too hard? No, no, Pedro, he loves, He enjoys it. Muhammad enjoys it. So, you know, we're going back and forth. And, I mean, I'd ask him questions about Bob Foster. Of course, Bob Foster and me hooked it up in, in New Mexico. He was a sheriff down there, but the former light heavyweight champ. he gave Ali hell. He gave all the heavyweights hell. In fact, the fights he lost were to heavyweights, not to light heavyweights. Anyway... I got to talk to Ali about all the guys that he fought. Even Tony Hunsecker, who I had on his show about 15 or 20 years ago. That was the first professional opponent for Cassius Clay. I think that was in Louisville, Kentucky. Man, back in 1960. History, baby. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world of boxing and MMA. This is hour number one of two. Live on Sports Byline and SB Nation Radio Sports. Next up, Ring Talk explores the world of mixed martial arts, right? USC, Bellator, a little pro wrestling, maybe some boxing as well. But you are tuned to Ring Talk, live worldwide, baby. Stay tuned for hour number two, live on Sports Byline and SB Nation Radio Sports.